0: Hello, everyone. It's John Byrne with Poets & Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast featuring my co-host, Caroline D'RT edwards and Maria Villa. And Maria is, of course, the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline is the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCAD. Well, guess what, folks? We have a new MBA ranking. And I don't mean one that's been updated that has been previously published, but I mean, one that is brand new and has never been out before. And it comes from an old venerable media brand in the United States called Fortune. Now, if you uh, younger people have never heard of Fortune, that's understandable, you know, because magazines aren't what they used to be. And even their websites uh, aren't quite magnets for younger people but uh, fortune had been a consequential media brand in the business space along with business week and forbes in the united states those were the big 3 business magazines of yesteryear and so it is somewhat consequential and i know that maria has been eagerly looking forward to this new ranking right maria
1: <laughs> hallelujah i just i wake up every morning and i think will today be the day finally that a new <laughs> ranking appears it's like it's like Christmas in July. <laughs> That's what we, what we need more of in the world. Is not not a hint of sarcasm there? At no, all. not at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I know, and I know that Caroline is equally joyous about this occasion. Yeah,
2: yeah. I've long, long had a love affair with NBA rankings, so, as you know, from my from my dating back to my days of compiling the data for for the rankings publishers when I was back at INSEAD.
0: Oh, of course. That would have been part of your job back then. Yes, it
2: was. It was a thrilling part of my role.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine the number of eyes that went on that submission to the Financial Times. Yeah, yeah exactly. it was quite painful. <laughs> so here's the Fortune ranking. Uh, it's the first time they've done this. Fortune has never really had much coverage of graduate management education at all throughout its, its entire history, which is kind of surprising. But, you know, they they see this as a potential area of uh, clicks and um, eyeballs. And so this is actually their second MBA ranking. The first was an online MBA ranking uh, that came out earlier this year and was a fiasco. You can read about it at Poets and Quants. And now there's this. And wouldn't you know, the top three schools in order are Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton. Now, I am so surprised. Now, where's NCI? Where's London Business School? Whereas all the other great schools in uh, Europe and Asia uh, and Canada, for that matter, nowhere to be found because this is an entirely U.S.-centric ranking. So altogether, Fortune ranks 69 different MBA programs. And what's really notable is uh, what the omissions are. There's no Michigan Ross. There's no UCLA. There's no USC Marshall School. There's no Emory Goizueta in addition to the absence, of course, of all the European and Asian players and Canadian players that have become very important to the whole industry. How come? Uh, In part, we believe Michigan, UCLA, USC, and Emory weren't included because they declined to participate. So that's interesting uh, in and of itself, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But I wonder if we can just generally get some reaction from our two experts here about the value of this ranking if any to MBA applicants maria want to take it first
1: i mean sure i i you know look this ranking feels pretty safe in fact it's it almost makes you wonder if they almost finagle their methodology to reverse engineer a list that makes a lot of sense uh, as opposed to picking a methodology up front and then saying okay come hell or high water this is the methodology um, you know, I, I don't really, you know, I think, I think the, the emphasis on salaries, I mean, that's 65%, if I'm not mistaken, of the weighting is simply based on salaries and, you know, I, I understand that. Look, people go to the MBA program to enhance their professional careers, and that often means making more money. But I think that saying that 65 percent of the value of an MBA is only based on the number, you know, the amount of money you're making when you graduate. I don't know. Like, I get that it's important, but I, I don't really I don't really love it. And I think it might sort of, you know, what about wonderful schools out there that are sending that are making Tremendous progress in creating impactful leaders in the field of social enterprise and nonprofit. Right, it's those schools are going to be penalized simply for being more mission driven. So I think that was one of the first things that jumped out at me about this ranking.
0: Yeah, really true. And of course, uh, by only looking at uh, base salary and then uh, the employment rate three months after graduation, which is sixty five percent of the ranking, as Maria just indicated, you're you're getting no idea of what are the admission standards and the quality of the students they're admitting. What about the actual academic and co-curricular experience that people are getting in the program? Uh, What about even what employers think uh, should be the demand for these uh, graduates and what their track records might be in their firms uh, that tell you something about the education and the quality of the students that are entering? What about the faculty? Are the faculty up to snuff? doesn't matter to Fortune because there's no factor of that. The rest of the ranking, as you just pointed out, is a so-called brand survey based on business professionals and hiring managers that accounts for 25% of the ranking. These are not people who actually uh, go out and recruit and hire and even work with MBAs. Uh, They're just what they are, whoever they could find at top companies who willing to respond to the survey. And if, in fact, they do have an MBA from a from a top school, that's not figured in in this ranking. So in other words, if I go to well, let me pick a school out of the blue, if if I go to Berkeley, right, which would be a bad choice. And I'll tell you why. But but if I go to Berkeley and I say the number one school is Berkeley and I don't name any others, there's no adjustment or discount uh, for the fact that I'm an alum of the school. And then the remaining 10% is even worse. It's reflected in the number of each school's alumni who are C-suite executives at Fortune 1,000 companies. So that's reflective of what happened 30, 40 years ago, not what's going on today. And worse than that, it's it's an idea of the economy that's old school, it doesn't capture any of the dynamic part of the economy uh, with some of the larger employers of MBAs, including McKinsey Bain BCG, which are obviously... Op- Obviously, not Fortune 1000 companies because they're not public companies. Uh, and it doesn't include startups, or early stage companies, or really some of the more exciting places that MBAs get to work in today, including social enterprise, healthcare, and other fields. So, uh, you know, that's a real kind of crazy methodology. Caroline, what's your take on all this?
2: Yeah, I think it's very reductive, right? As you said, there are a lot of reasons that people choose to go to business school and there are a lot of elements of value that that students and alumni get out of the experience. And you can't say that most of that can be summed up as your salary. That also assumes that the main reason people go into to business school is to earn a bigger salary afterwards, which is for many people, not the case, right? They're looking for more things than just uh, the, the, the the largest sum that they could possibly command. So, so I think it, you know it, it, it's incredibly reductive. And a, as you mentioned earlier, you know the lack of international schools really makes my eyes roll. You know it's such a myopic view of the world. And the US has to move beyond this, right? And this has been you know a, an issue in the US for for well, I, I guess for for forever but that you know there's there's a very reductive view of of the world and most people assume that the the world ends at the U- borders of the of the US and um and, and you know i thought that we were getting beyond that obviously the US news ranking still only focuses on the US schools but you know a lot of the other rankings have uh, encompassed the whole gamut of international programs as well as u.s programs so it, it, it's it's very disappointing that a new ranking that you know could sort of stake make make a claim for having a different positioning in the u.s market has such a sort of old-fashioned approach of the world is just um you know what we see around us in our immediate geography and we can't look beyond our own borders
0: yeah that's really true and particularly when you're starting from scratch today you can't I mean, that's insane that you would actually uh, have such a myopic view of the of the business world, uh, because let's face it, they took out a blank sheet of paper. and They could have done anything that they wanted to do, and they could have done a true global ranking the way The Economist does or the way The Financial Times does, or at least they could have done a separate international ranking the way Bloomberg Businessweek and Forbes do. But instead, they decided, oh, no, we're just going to do U.S. schools and we're going to do it on the most simplistic measure possible, uh, starting salary and placement, basically. And two, surveys that are really meaningless and inconsequential and don't reflect on the quality of any of these programs whatsoever. It's kind of annoying, to be honest. It's almost like they're lazy and they didn't want to do the hard work of adding value to our community, our field, which really uh, troubles me to be honest. And, and that's and that's with the caveat that let's face it, all of these rankings are, are on some level distortions of the marketplace. Uh, maybe altogether over time, they get you to some sort of greater truth, but any one list in any one year from any one outlet isn't gonna uh, tell you with any kind of great confidence what the best schools are. Nonetheless, these rankings have become an obsessive feature of the search for the right business school by applicants. They are widely consulted. They are widely consumed. And, you know, a would-be applicant who doesn't know a lot about the market could take this list and assume that these really are their choices. And this is their decision set, their consideration set for an MBA. And if they were to do that, uh, they'd be making a huge mistake. Here's a quick uh, stat that's kind of fascinating 40% of the top 100 US schools, never mind international, 40%, four out of every 10 US schools that are in the top 100 in US news are missing from this ranking. 40%. And as I mentioned before, it includes some great schools with world class MBA experiences like Michigan like Washington University in St. Louis, like USC in LA and UCLA, and Emory in Atlanta, and many others, um, not to mention and London Business School in Paris, IESC in Spain, and many other great schools, Cambridge uh, and Oxford and others. It's a distorted view of what the market is. And, and, and yes, the top of the ranking does look incredibly familiar. And Maria is right. It's as if they basically looked at uh, what the top schools uh, in U.S. News Survey were and basically duplicated them with some few exceptions. But it's, it's kind of wacky. Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, Chicago Booth, Northwestern, Kellogg, that's number five. Then you have Columbia, NYU, Stern, MIT, Sloan, Yale, and Dartmouth-Tuck. They make up the top ten familiar cast of characters, and pretty much, more or less, you may disagree with where one school is over another, uh, at least among the U.S. programs, but uh, by and large, it's what you see and what you get in U.S. news. One surprise, MIT Sloan is coming in below NYU Stern, which is really kind of shocking, to be honest. But pretty much, you know, it's, yeah, but that's just the top 10, and uh, this is supposed to be an overview of all MBAs. Should an applicant just totally ignore something like this and just move on? I'm thinking that's what you would recommend, Caroline.
2: Well, I don't think it, it brings much new information, right? So uh, as you said, I, I don't think that there's there's much to be learned from it. So, you know, why not have a look at it? when you're If you're looking through all the rankings, right? I don't think candidates should base their decisions on any single ranking. So, you know, why not look through this as part of your scan of all of the rankings, but it's not terribly informative. So, as you said, it's a shame that they didn't sort of set out to add a bit more value to candidates in in sort of helping them navigate, you know, the the choices which are increasingly complex. And it, it is a global marketplace today, you know, candidates in the U.S., as well as elsewhere, are looking at international schools, international candidates are looking at coming to study in the US. So it is a global marketplace, and, and that makes it much more complex for everybody to, to navigate. And so, you know, they're kind of, they com- completely miss that, right? Um, and so, you know, the decisions and the choices are more difficult for candidates, I think, to to figure out, you know, what is the best option for them, which may not be as obvious today as it might have been. 10 or 20 years ago. And I, I don't think this this adds anything to the process and assists them with that, that decision-making.
0: Yeah. Uh, and to your point about uh, the fact that it doesn't any add any value, it, even if you look at the base statistics, okay, starting salaries and employment three months after graduation, these are year-old numbers. In six to eight weeks, the schools will be reporting their latest numbers. Fortune couldn't even bother to wait and get the newest data from the schools. Instead, it went back, you know, to, to, for data that's almost a year old uh, to crank out this this ranking. The other issue is for publicly available data, any applicant can just go and cre- construct their own ranking. They don't need fortune to do some cockamamie thing uh, that has little to no relevance and only misinforms people. So it's it's kind of really annoying to me That fortune at least didn't even wait to gather the latest statistics and then to deliver them maybe before anyone else in a ranking. Maybe at least then there's some new information that they're throwing into the marketplace. But in this case, there's nothing at all. Maria, did you rely on rankings when you went to Harvard?
1: (laughs) No, I really didn't. You know, I looked around at my in my industry who had an MBA and where they had gone. I mean, that was it sounds pretty simplistic, but. At the time in entertainment, MBAs were not everywhere the way they are today. And so a couple of programs sort of filtered up to the top from that. And I also had geographic requirements. I wanted to be on the East Coast because my family was there at the time. And also I based it on people that I had met who had either graduated from certain programs or who I knew from undergrad or from other contexts who I heard through the grapevine had gone to certain programs. And that definitely impacted my view, uh, perhaps rightfully or wrongfully, but it definitely, you know, if somebody I don't like, someone who was really cruel or mean in college, and I heard through the grapevine, like, oh, they're going to that program. It certainly did not put that program at the top of my list. So I th- I went through, you know, my industry and then also <laughs> location. And then finally like, all right, who, who do I know who's gone there?
0: Yeah, and that makes sense. And and Caroline, I'm sure that was the same calculus that brought you to NCOT.
1: Yeah, I had a number of
2: colleagues who I was working with in consulting who had been to NCOT, and so I was inspired by their stories of the amazing experience that they had had. And um, I um, I had studied languages at university and really wanted to get um, sort of launch myself internationally and get out of the UK. So. Um its yeah, sort of had an instant appeal to me as that wonderful um you know platform for for international recruiting so I think pretty much as soon as I started to learn about it i it really resonated with me and and um you know i i I felt that that was the right place for me to go pretty quickly i didn't after that I didn't actually look very seriously at other schools
0: yeah and that totally makes sense. You know, it may seem a dubious exercise, to be frank, to, to nitpick the ranking even beyond what we've already said. But I, I just can't help myself. OK,
2: <laughs> so uh, you're,
1: the, you're, it, the, you're the you're the you're the founder of the rankings, right? We're yeah. I,
0: looking... yeah I, I, and that's a dubious distinction. In so it's itself. your
1: baby. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we you're, have John to thank. I this MBA,
0: yes, I I I do uh, lay claim in uh, uh and <laughs> of creating the first of the regularly published MBA rankings for Business Week in 1988. That was before U.S. News and before Financial Times, and the Economist and Forbes, all of which are in the game still today. But let's just even look at some of this stuff, and and because it to me it also shows the error of uh, measuring. The quality of an MBA program merely by base salary, by and large, is what's going on here. Berkeley, Haas, great program, always in the top 10 of MBA programs in the United States. And usually in the top 10 when you take out the European and Asian schools in The Economist and the Financial Times. Why are they number 13 in this ranking when in U.S. news they're number seven? So you might ask, okay, well, wait a minute. How can that even be possible? Because certainly the graduates of Berkeley do exceedingly well in the job market. Their median salaries of about $140,000 a year, actually that's the exact number, certainly compares well with their peer school. So how can they not be in the top 10? Well, if you want to know why, here's why. Because the number one industry that recruits at Berkeley is, not surprisingly, technology. Nearly a third of the school's graduates go into tech firms. Now, here's what we know about what tech firms pay in base salary. They pay lower than consulting or finance, and sometimes considerably lower. Now, those jobs may be more valuable to MBAs because, in many cases, you get to do more things. You are you may be less likely to be a cog in a big wheel they may not involve, you know, uh, 60 to 80 hours of work a week and travel as constantly as a consulting job might. But the fact that a third, the largest single chunk of people who graduate from Berkeley with an MBA go into technology actually hurt the school. Now that's ridiculous. Those are choices made by the students who who in many of whom actually go to Berkeley because they want to enter what is perceived to be one of the most dynamic industries in the world economy today, in one of the most dynamic parts of the uh, world economy, uh, the Bay Area. And yet here is the school being penalized for that. So, so it's things like that that really annoy me and just don't make any sense. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean also taking into account the fact that I think a lot of the tech firms give pretty significant equity packages. So that base salary might not match what you would get at in banking, but you might get 50-100,000 dollars worth of stock that will vest over time and will if, if the company stock goes up then the value of, of what you were granted will go up too. So it is a little bit simplistic to only look at base salary. Like one of my one of my classmates dropped out of business school to start Yelp. And I'm pretty sure his his salary when he was starting Yelp was probably zero or not that high. And today he's doing pretty well. So it's it's sort of a simplistic metric to use, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, not even uh, sign-on bonuses were used where, you know, to some extent, that's a little more differentiating in terms of what employers think about MBAs at different schools, because obviously the better schools. Are going to have graduates who are more likely to get sign-on bonuses than schools that um, are not as in great demand by employers. Another piece of the puzzle is other guaranteed compensation. When you have people going into finance, in particular, and increasingly in private equity, uh, venture capital, and hedge funds, we talked about this. In fact, last week there is something called carry that can that can frankly match your base salary or exceed it in any given year, all of these elements of compensation are completely uh, not uh, covered by the ranking at all. It's only base salary. So, so even on that level, it tells you very little. And then of course, if you have a large international contingent and they go back to their home countries and their home countries tend to be, let's uh, say India and China. You know, the compensation levels of people who go there are significantly lower. You work for McKinsey in India and you make a fraction of what you would make in North America or Europe. And that's just a reality of those marketplaces that's totally unaccounted for uh, by just taking a single number base salary, whether median or average, as Fortune does, and saying this is the worth of your MBA. here's another interesting thing. I mentioned earlier that 40% of the top 100 MBA programs in US News are missing from this ranking. Now you know if 65% of the ranking was based on publicly available data, meaning things that you could just go to the website and within a minute or two find out what percentage of the class is employed three months after graduation. What did the class make in median and average salary? you can find that out by going to any website within a minute. Uh, and if you couldn't get it in the website because maybe they only reported a median instead of an average or an average instead of a median a single email to the pr person at the at the school would have given you that information. Did fortune do that? Absolutely not. So so as a result if a school just didn't want to cooperate and, and complete the questionnaire, they were not included in the ranking, even though all that fortune had to do was take a minute to go to a school's website and get that information to still put them in the ranking. It's just laziness. It's just, the, it's the worst possible way that any uh, journalistic organization in, in, in particular uh, should be cranking out a list like this. Well, Here's my advice for everyone: Ignore this list entirely. Go to others, and when you go to another list, go to multiple lists. Don't just look at any one list. If you if you're going to go and look at a ranking, I mean, the two most uh, prevalent rankings are U.S. News and World Report for the U.S. schools and the Financial Times for a global picture of what's happening. And I think those two rankings have the most credibility and the most authority, even though uh, both of them have significant flaws as well. So that's my advice. What's your advice, Caroline?
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I think you know, take them all with a pinch of salt and spend some time understanding the methodology because the the methodology is basically trying to replicate the decision making process of what is the right school right and and that is very individual to every candidate in fact. so the things that they are measuring and the things that they are you know, giving a lot of weight in, in the ranking may or may not be important criteria for you. So I, I would certainly encourage candidates to always sort of dig into what's underneath all of this because far too often the rankings are just taken at face value.
0: So true. Maria, last words?
1: I think the only ranking people should look at is the Poets and Quants ranking. So you <laughs> all rankings. Thank You, you. can Thank find you. that ranking at poetsandquants.com. Again, that's poetsandquants.com.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, let me put it. good point. I'll tell you why. Because in one single glance, you can find out where every school ranks on all the five most influential rankings, which would be U.S. News, Financial Times, The Economist, Forbes, uh, and business with. So you go there and you see the latest ranking of all of the five most influential organizations that actually do this and do it somewhat credibly, even though each of those are flawed. And then you see the mashup mashup of the five rankings. And it's not a simple average. Uh, what we literally do is look at the methodology. And because I do have the dubious distinction of having been in these black boxes, uh, looking at these numbers I can tell you that some rankings have greater credibility than others based on their consistency over the years or what they're measuring or what they're not measuring. So we account for that and come up with our overall composite ranking. And Maria, you are right. That's where you want to look at a ranking. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, for all of you out there, uh, thanks for joining us once again. It's been fun. We love beating up on rankings, incidentally, and we know that they are overused by most people who are uh, on their journey to a business school. Uh, I know for sure that Caroline and Maria have counseled applicants who've been deciding which acceptance to accept to and enroll, which, which program to enroll in after they've been accepted to multiple programs. And I guarantee you that discussion of rankings has sometimes come into that conversation. Am I right?
2: <laughs> for sure.
0: reluctantly, Caroline agrees, (laughs) (laughs) and painfully as well. So, hey, thank you for listening. This is John Byrne with Ports and Quants.